y'all, I'm telling you, y'all look good. <laughs> like, has to be one of the least top three best looking churches on this side of heaven. <laughs> Can you just give God some praise because you look good? No, you can do better than that. You didn't always look as good as you look now. There was a time you didn't look this good. You ought to thank God just for increasing your beauty. <laughs> well, listen, we are in week one uh, of a new series. By the way, I'm Lamar. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Tri-Cities Church. And we are in week one of a six-week series called Chase the Lion. Uh, and so over the next six weeks, uh, if you hang with us, I'm going to challenge you. Uh, the Word of God is going to challenge you. Uh, and we're going to try to come out of this thing a little bit stronger, believing God for a little bit more, chasing our dreams that God has for our life, and not settling for less than what God intended for us to do and be. Is that all right with you? Yeah. And so this book, this uh, series uh, is kind of based off a book from Pastor Mark Batterson. He is a pastor of National Community Church in D.C. And I don't do books often, but every now and then there's a book that sort of incites and some passion in me. And so I want to uh, just kind of take the next six weeks, not to just preach his book, but just some ideas, but also some things I believe that God is saying to us individually, but also as a church. And so I want to do this. First person who gets up here, I want to bless you with this book. Don't move too fast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Y'all got caught slipping. <laughs> and so uh, make sure that you're here all six weeks. I'm going give, to give away a book every week. Bring somebody with you. Uh, it's great reading. Uh, it's light reading, but it's also very encouraging. And sort of the subtitle of the book is, is, if your dream is too, if your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small. That we ought to have a God-sized dream that in the back of our mind, it should scare you. It ought to be something that God places on your heart that is so big that it can only possibly happen if God is involved. That we ought to have a dream and a passion and a goal for our lives to live for Christ in a way that, God, if you don't step in, there is no way that this will possibly happen. Is there anybody in here that's ready to dream bigger than what you've ever dreamed in your life? And over the next six weeks, we're going to challenge ourselves and allow God's word to challenge us. Here's something that I discovered. Most of y'all um, probably have followed me on social media. You kind of know my story. And so I'll share more about that uh, as we spend more time together. But here's one thing that I was often told when I was a child because I had some challenges. Uh, oftentimes, either teachers or fellow students would say, uh, there's something that's not normal about that boy. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want you to put you on front street. But some of us heard that before with someone who said you're not normal. But can I just let you in on a secret? Normal is overrated. As a matter of fact, our own book, Peter says that we are a peculiar people. There is nothing normal about those of us who decide to follow Christ. So I can just tell you for my young people, older people, stop trying to be normal. Normal is overrated. God has called us to be lion chasers, to be people who dream things that are bigger than we can possibly ever accomplish on our own. So normal is overrated. I love how Pastor Batterson, he starts off with this quote in his book. He says, you are one idea, one risk, one decision away from a totally different life. 
I used to teach this when I was a youth pastor that every single day, I was telling this to our young people, every single day that you wake up before your feet hit the floor, you will make at least three decisions that will change the course of your life. The problem is you don't always know what three they are. And so we want to challenge ourselves to make God honoring decisions, make God-sized decisions, because one day you're going to wake up and you're going to make a decision, and Pastor Batterson says you are one idea, one risk for God away from a totally different life. So can I just make an assumption this morning, because uh, I've said this before uh, to other groups, that I don't believe that you came on a Sunday morning because you want to do worse. I'm, maybe I'm making an assumption, but I believe that most of us, Sunday is one of our few days off of the week. Most of us don't get up and shower. Uh, at least most of us don't get up and shower. <laughs> Some of y'all caught that. You'll catch it on Tuesday. <laughs> most of us don't take our day off. And the one day we could do anything that we want to with our life to enjoy ourselves. Most of us don't get up and decide to come to church because I want to do worse. I believe, and maybe I'm making an assumption, that you're here because you want to be better. You want to do better. You want God to use you more. There are more things that you want God to get out of your life. We said this last week to pray this prayer. God, put me where you can get the most out of me. And I believe, maybe I'm making an assumption, but I have the mic and you don't, so I can say what I want. (laughs) I'm assuming that you want better, so I'm going to push us to do better and to dream bigger and to go further than we ever thought We could go one idea, one risk, one decision away from a totally different life. There's a story in 2 Samuel that Pastor Batterson uses as sort of a foundation, and we'll use it for a foundation over the next several weeks, that most of us probably haven't read because it's one of those obscure tests. It's buried somewhere in the Bible and stuff that's really not all that interesting. As a matter of fact, this is the story talking about King David's last days of his life. And then it starts to tell a story about David's mighty men. He had 30 guys who were sort of like your, let me see how I can do this because I got g- different generations. He, they were sort of like your G.I. Joe, Power Rangers, Kung Fu Fighters, Navy SEAL, kind of kick butt squad that David had. Okay, I got all the generations. They were the guys that David hung with that were instrumental in him being king, but also instrumental in him becoming king. And these dudes were bad. Except we don't really hear a whole lot about their story until we get to 2 Samuel chapter 23. I want to jump down to verse 20. It says, there was also Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kebzil. And he did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time on a snowy day, he chased down a lion into a pit and killed it. Once armed with a club, he killed an imposing Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah rinsed the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. Deeds like these made Benaiah as famous as the three mightiest warriors. He was more honored than all the other members of the 30, though he was not one of the three. And David made him captain of his bodyguard. Okay, I got to tell you a story real quick before we dive into it. A few years ago, uh, when we had our first child, uh, I didn't. I didn't really know anything. Any anybody, you know, as a parent, you know that you don't know. Any, nobody gives you a manual before you have a parent. Can I just say, even when you have kids, there's still no manual. 
And so um, we had some challenges with our, with our oldest son. And so my wife had to go on bed rest and I had to take her to the doctor twice a week because they were afraid that he wasn't growing. And so they put her on bed rest and, and we went to have an appointment with our doctor. And she said, OK, we're going to try to get you to 38 weeks and then we're going to schedule an induction. And because I didn't know anything, I thought when she meant schedule, like we're going to sit down and look at our calendar and we're kind of got to tell you when we want to come in and have the baby. And so one day I was at work and my wife, the only appointment I missed the whole pregnancy, she went to the doctor by herself and she called me and I was on the floor. I was working retail at the time. I was on the floor and she said, um, yeah, I just left the doctor and the baby's coming tomorrow at six. She, she, she scheduled the induction for six o'clock in the morning. And so I'm working and I'm saying, OK, cool. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll holler at you later. Click. And as I'm walking down the aisle, I said to myself, now, what just happened? You ever had one of those moments where somebody drops something on you and you're like, what now? What now? What, what just happened? See, y'all missed it. It's right here in the text. He says, let me read it again. There is also Benaiah, son of Yehoda, a valiant warrior from Kezbel. He did many heroic deeds, which included two, killing two champions of Moab. OK, you know, this fighting people. And then he says, and another time on a snowy day, he chased a lion down a pit and killed it. When I read that, I said, now, what just happened? He says it like. It's no big deal. Did you catch that? He just goes on. And I'm like, time out. I want to know more about this story. He just told me that this guy, he, he, didn't, he didn't just rumble with the lion. He actually chased the lion down into the pit and killed it. So here's my uh, kind of problem with that. Because when your eyes, they, they see a man-eating beast, a 500-pound machine that God designed to tear flesh from bones. When your ocular nerves hit that lion and it sends the signal through your brain and it goes all the way down to your feet, normal people's brain would tell their feet to run. But Benaiah wasn't normal. And can I suggest that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are not born to be normal either. Let me scratch that. You were not born again to be normal. I've said this before. When, when you accept Jesus Christ as your savior, for real, that is the most faith it will ever take you to do anything that God ever asked you to do. You don't need a special type of faith to do all the stuff that God has asked you to do, to be as courageous as God has called you to be. When you say, Jesus, my life is yours, for real. That is the most faith it will ever take you to do whatever God has called you to do. And Benaiah wasn't normal. Did you catch what he said? He, the writer of 2 Samuel, just, he just, he, he, he told that part of the story and kept going like this was normal stuff. He says, this man chased a lion down a pit on a snowy day. I don't know how, why he had to add that in there because you know if you're a runner like you have to stretch and all that stuff like I can't imagine so the odds were against him and he chased the lion down in a pit and he writes this like it's normal and I'm wondering if that there are some people that God has called who are ordinary people that he uses to do extraordinary things see the reason why the writer of second Samuel just he just tells us that story as a matter of fact because this is what they expected from their life. They expected to do great things for God. They expected miracles to happen. They expected to be used by God. This wasn't no big thing. Did you catch what he said? He killed a couple people from Moab. He chased a lion. He stole an Egyptian spear. Yada, yada, yada. This is just who we are. 
And I'm wondering if there's anybody under the sound of my voice who's ready to just be the type of person who God has called us to be. When I gave my life to Christ, he gave me all the courage that I need to do whatever it is that he's called me to do. The reason why it was just a matter of fact story, because that's just who they were. We are people as Christians who believe in things we cannot see. It's in our DNA. It's who we are. Benaiah wasn't normal. And can I suggest this morning? Neither are you. Peter says we are a peculiar people. So who is this Benaiah guy? Because I grew up in church, and if you didn't, that's cool. I don't ever remember this story in Sunday school. Nobody told me who this guy was. I want to know more about this guy who chased lions, who was one of David's mighty men, that David had 30 mighty men, and then there were three who were top, and I don't know if you call this, it says Benaiah wasn't even one of the top three, but the reason why you even know who his story is is because he had courage. He wasn't even the best of the 30. He was just one of the bravest of the 30. Don't miss that. I'm not asking you to be better than anyone else. All I'm saying is to be better tomorrow than you are today. When you wake up in the morning, say, God is my witness and God as my helper. I'm going to be a better, insert your name, than I was yesterday. I'm going to be braver tomorrow than I am today. I'm going to take more risks for God tomorrow than I am today. But now it wasn't normal and neither are you. So who is this cat? Because he's got me. He's got me. You know, I had to pause like, wait a minute, Samuel, you can't just skip over that. I need to know more about him. And so it says that he was the son of Jehoadah. Jehoadah was a priest. He was from the tribe of Levi. And his grandfather, uh, when I researched this, was also someone who was considered valiant or in other words, mighty. And, and Benaiah's name itself means that God has built him up. And so I asked myself, man, I'm new here. I don't really, you know, how can I tell people? Um, that they can be courageous lion chasers because, come on, you know, you don't really know them like that. And God said, you don't have to, you don't have to know because we know Benaiah's father and grandfather, and I don't know your parents, and I don't know your background, but here's what I do know, that what the Samuel is saying is, is that Benaiah had a good foundation. And here's what I know about you, even without knowing you, I know that you, if you're here at this church, and if you've been here for any length of time, you've been taught and you stand on a good foundation. And so no matter what your background is, you can be like Benaiah because here's what I know. You've got a good foundation. There are some things that have happened in your life and there's some things that you've been taught and there's some struggles that you've been through that serve as a foundation for your faith, for you to be able to be more courageous, to take more risk, for God to get more out of you. Benaiah had a great foundation. I wonder what it was like when his father took him to, you know, I don't know if this is like uh, back in the day if they had take your child to work day. You know, I wonder what it was like when he took Benaiah, because, you know, his, na- his father's name means God knows. I'm wondering, this is conjecture, it's not in the text, but maybe if you just allow me to use my sanctified imagination, I wonder what it was like growing up in a house where your father's name was God knows everything. I wonder what it was like when he took him to work. I wonder what it was like when he read him bedtime stories and what did he put in his child so that one day he would grow up and be somebody who was courageous for God. I'm wondering what was it that that Benaiah knew that we need to know. Maybe it's found just in his father's name. God knows everything. There is something comforting and empowering about knowing that we serve an omniscient God.
Like, like don't skip over that. Don't, don't skip over. I know we know that as Christians, but, but have, you ever, have you ever really thought about the fact that there's nothing that God has asked you to do in your life that he doesn't already know that you're capable of doing? Man, that just kind of gives you comfort. Because you know that thing that he asked you to do last year and you put it off? God didn't ask you to do that because you're not capable. You know that thing you've been putting off for 10 years, that person you're supposed to talk to, that phone call you're supposed to make, that business you're supposed to start, that ministry that God has placed in your heart. God didn't ask you to do it because he didn't feel like you were capable. God is saying you are a lion chaser just like Beniah. Go get it. And Beniah grew up in a house where I believe he probably learned that, that God knows everything. And if, if I'm faced with this task, then that means that God knows that I have enough to get it done. See, dreamers are doers. Did you catch what verse 22 said? It says that deeds like these made Benaiah as famous as the three mightiest warriors. In other words, he wasn't even the best out of all of them. But because he had God honoring courage, you wouldn't even know who he was if he hadn't chased that lion down the pit. He wasn't even the best. There were three out of the 30 who were the best. But he says that deeds like this, things like that. Can I just ask you something? How many of us want to die and have our life story just be a footnote in history? How many of us want to leave this place and nobody even knew that you were here? I'm not talking about being famous. I'm not talking about being rich. I'm talking about God using you to make an impact on somebody's life so that one day somebody's story cannot be told about how they came to Christ unless they include you in their story. That is courage. That is lion chasing. That is going after things that God has placed on the inside of you. The only reason why you even know who Beniah is because he wasn't one of the best, but he was one of the bravest. He did what God called him to do. See, normally, an encounter with the lion ends bad for the human. Normally. Normally, when you face up with something that causes you to be afraid, normal people run away. Okay, so can we translate the lion to your greatest fear? What is it that you've been afraid to do for God? Because normally when you live a normal life, when you you and I live a life where we don't actually believe in our hearts that God knows everything, normal people run away from the things that make them afraid. But lion chasers know that God knows everything, that God knows that you can get it done, that God knows that when you put your faith and trust in him, you can do everything that he's asked you and he's challenged you and accomplished to do. See, Benaiah flipped the script and chased the lion instead of being chased by the lion. There is this story, uh, one of my favorite authors, Malcolm Gladwell, he writes about this story in one of his books. He says that in in World War II, German bombers attacked London. And 40,000 were killed, 46,000 were injured. And the goal wasn't necessarily to kill people. The, The goal in bombing London in World War II was designed to incite fear in the people. That we want to let you know that you should be afraid. Isn't that what terrorism is? We want you to be afraid. We want you to be paralyzed with fear. We don't want you to live your life to the fullest. We want you to wake up every single day afraid about what would happen to you if. Except there's a 
Canadian psychiatrist J.T. McCurdy, he explains that when the bombings occurred, it created three groups. Okay, the first group was the deceased. Obviously, those are the ones who the bombs killed. But he says something that sounds kind of callous. He says, but the people who are no longer here don't dictate the morale of the people who survived. Okay, some of y'all just missed that because you got some folks in your life who walked out on you and you're still allowing them to dictate your morale and your happiness. Can I just tell you, there may be some people who God has allowed to exit your life, but the people who ain't here shouldn't decide what you do with the rest of your life. Some of y'all just missed that. He said that there are some folks who are no longer here and they don't decide how courageous you can be come on now some of us know that story right there's some folks who've walked out on you talked about you who's left you and some of us can I be honest some of our lack of courage is still tied to people who ain't here he says the first group are the deceased they they we, we we were sad about what happened but the reality is for those of us who are left they don't dictate how we move forward then he says a second group that was created from the bomb. He says there was the deceased, but then there are those who are the disturbed. Those are what's called near misses. In other words, the bomb hit. It didn't kill me, but it disturbed me so much that I lived the rest of my life in fear. Then he says there's a third group. He says there's the deceased. There's a disturbed. But then he says there's what's called remote misses, and it creates a group that is determined. See, what happened is when they dropped the bombs and they wanted to incite fear, there were people who were deceased, there were people who became disturbed, but then there was a group who rose up who became even more determined because they survived something, don't miss this, that should have killed them. Okay, is there anyone under the sound of my voice who's willing to admit that there's some stuff that you survived that should have taken you out and instead of you being disturbed, you became more determined that even though I've gone through some stuff in my life, I'm more determined to live my life for God because there's some stuff that I shouldn't have survived and they got courage because they survived can I just tell you that there's this there's kind of two ways to survive your problems see it's one thing to survive something you ran from and there's another to survive something you rumbled with see see Benaiah runs into a lion and and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not where he is, and so I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. Because I would have taken it as a sign of divine intervention that once the lion started going the other way, thank you, God, for saving me. I'm going the opposite direction. And that's cool if you just want to live your life surviving. Can I just tell you? Because there's, there's a difference between surviving something that you ran from and surviving something that you were willing to rumble with. And there are some of us who have some issues, some concerns, some problems that we've survived it, but you didn't survive it because you overcame it. You survived it because you ran from it. And we're going to be survivors. You're going to survive either way, but are you going to be disturbed by what you've been through? Are you going to allow God to allow what you've been through to make you more determined? And Benaiah ran into a lion, and instead of running the other way, he realized, but maybe there's a responsibility here for me just to not survive, but to survive because I've dealt with this issue. It's Black History Month, and so I want to just tell you this, because uh, there's a guy named Fred Shuttlesworth. Many of you know uh, he was a civil rights icon and activist, 
And so uh, back, back in those days, the, the, the KKK decided to take on the same approach that Germany took on, and they decided to start bombing people's homes and bombing churches in Birmingham. And Shuttlesworth, after getting a call from one of his friends who was a sheriff of the town, the sheriff said, I didn't think they would take it this far. You need to get out of town. You want to know what Shuttlesworth said? Because he wasn't one of the disturbed. He was one of the determined. He says, if God allowed me to survive this, I'm in it for the duration, and the fight is just beginning. See, there's some stuff that has gone off in your life. There are some bombs that have gone off in your life. There are some lions that you've been faced with that shouldn't disturb you. It should make you more determined to live your life for Christ. The devil should have killed me when he had a chance. Every morning I wake up, he know he's in trouble. You should have got me when you had a chance. But now it says, okay, there's a responsibility here that there's a lion. Maybe he was thinking about if I let this lion live, how many other people will be affected by this lion? Maybe he was thinking about if I don't deal with this situation, maybe the future generations might have to deal with this. If I don't deal with this injustice, maybe the next generation will have to deal with it. If we don't deal with racism, maybe the next generation will have to deal with it. There are some lions that we cannot afford to allow to live because it might impact somebody else's life. Beniah, Beniah, he he learned this important thing from my note takers. If you're ready, write this down. He learned that courage is born when I live through something that gives me a reason to live for something. I'm just going to let that marinate like a good steak. Because courage is not something that you bring to the fight. Courage is something you develop after you've been in a fight and survived it and you realize that wasn't so bad after all. See, courage is born when you live through something That gives you a reason to live for something. Most of your ministry in life is going to be born out of the mess that you came out of. Your biggest testimony is a result of you overcoming your greatest test. There are some things that you have survived so that God can use that as a platform for you to have the courage to chase down some stuff that may impact the next generation. But now I realize maybe if I let this thing go, that's that's going to mess up somebody else's life. Mark Batterson says this in his book. He says you can run away from what you're afraid of, but you will be running the rest of your life. Can I encourage you? Because there's some things that may make you afraid. And you can continue to survive by running. Or you can be determined to tackle that problem, to tackle that issue, to tackle this thing that has a grip on my life and survive not by running, but by rumbling. Matter of fact, just bump your name and say, rumble, young man, rumble. (laughs) That's 35 and older. Some of y'all don't even know who Muhammad Ali is. (laughs) 35 and older. You tell tell the babies who that came from. See, Benaiah wasn't the best, but he wasn't afraid to chase the lion. Let me just drop this on you. Faith requires fortitude. I said this last week. God gets no glory when we have no guts. When I don't have the guts to do what God is asking me to do, God gets no glory from my life. And the chief end of all humanity is to give glory to God. How many things would God have gotten the glory out of my life for if I just had the courage to do what he asked me to do? 
How many people might know who Jesus is if I just had the courage to chase that line? How many of these seats wouldn't be empty if I just had the courage to say, I know you're going through a hard time. Come to church with me. Let me introduce you to Jesus. But now I realize that this is bigger than me. If I don't tackle this issue, somebody else's life will be impacted. So I want to say that again because that's going to be one of the themes of this series. God gets no glory when we have no guts. What God wants for you is always bigger than you and your ability. If your dream that God has given you doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. If what God is asking you to do doesn't make you a little bit nervous, it's not big enough. Why? Because I need to dream up something that is so big that it only works if God's involved. If you can do it yourself, what would you need God for? But now I realize having a great foundation, this is a little bit scary, but I'm going to I'm going to go after this because I believe that, that God has given me a task. See, dreams don't die. Write this down. They simply outrun us. You know that thing that you thought was dead? That idea that you had, that, that, that thing that God placed in your heart? You, you might have thought it was dead, but can I just give you a reality? Dreams don't die. They just outrun us. We get tired of chasing the lion and we let it go. And one day I go from from living life on purpose and with purpose to just surviving day to day. I don't know about you, but I believe that there's something bigger than me waking up and punching a clock from nine to five every single day. God, there's got to be something bigger for my life. You didn't just put me here so I can be a footnote in history. You intend, watch this, to get everything out of me that you put in me. Benaiah says, I'm not the best. I'm not trying to be the best. I'm not trying to compete with anyone, but I am going to be brave. You don't have to be better than anyone sitting next to you, anyone at work, but you do have to have courage and convictions. Chase the line. I love how Batterson ends his book with Matthew chapter 25, or he ends the chapter rather, with Matthew chapter 25. Most of us have read this before. It's a parable of the talents. You remember the guy who goes off and he gives his workers three different amounts? I just want to read the end to you. Chapter 25, verse 24. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was, what's the key word? Afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Can I just tell you, the problem with this servant wasn't that he did something immoral. His problem was he didn't do anything. Then he goes on to say, but... But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, I knew if you knew I harvest crops, I didn't plant and gather crops, I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest out of it. In other words, the master is saying the least you could have done is invested. The least you could have done is done something with what I gave you. Here, here's what Patterson says, and I'm going I'm to end with this. He says, when everything is said and done, God isn't going to say, well said. He's not going to say, well thought. He's not going to say, well planned. When it's all over, God is going to say, well done. 
And maybe we've kind of tricked ourselves, I think, in the Christian church because we love to sit around and talk about what it would look like to live for God. (laughs) And we do studies on what it would look like to have courage. And we do studies on what it would look like to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. But when it's all said and done, God's not going to say, man, well thought idea. Come into my kingdom. No, this master told the other two, well done. You've used what I've given you to get something done that will advance my kingdom. You chase down a lion. So I want to give you a challenge as we transition into communion. There's a card. Because God's not going to say, you had great intentions to serve my church. Well done. Because most of us have to learn this one principle, that in the real world, you're going to be judged by your decisions, not your intentions. What you meant to do is not going to matter as much as what you actually did. So I want to invite you. There are a lot of ways that you can start chasing your personal lines, but help us as a church chase down some lines that God is calling us to chase down. Fill out a card. Let us know how, because the dream that we have is so big that it only works if God's involved and it only works if you're involved. Help us chase the lion. You know, Jesus, uh, as we prepare for communion, he, he did something extraordinary with his life. He came down from heaven, left all the comforts of heaven. Can you imagine that? Like leaving, I read somewhere like streets of gold and all that stuff. Like he left all that to come down here and hang out with us. But he was chasing down this lion called sin. And he gave his life on the cross so that you and I can have the same amount of courage. Remember, I said, if you've given your heart to Jesus, that's as much faith as you will ever need to do anything that God has asked you to do. Tap into that. You remember that moment when you surrendered your heart to Jesus for real? That took faith. That's the same amount of faith that you need to do whatever God is asking you to do to chase any lion that God is calling you to chase. You got the faith, you got the goods, you got the foundation. Don't just survive by running away from stuff. Survive by rumbling with it. So as we prepare to to take communion, I also want to make sure that you know that you have opportunities to continue to give. And so there are stations for communion and also stations to give. God calls us to give 10%. And really, that's just plan percentage giving. Have a plan, have a percentage. God says start at 10 and then work your way up. That's how you chase down the line and help us build the kingdom. And so you have an opportunity to give, but you also now have an opportunity to celebrate how Jesus gave his life. So after I pray, you have an opportunity to give, but also have an opportunity to celebrate the gift that was given to us when Jesus chased down this line called sin. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you, God, for giving us a new passion to chase down the things that have caused us to be afraid. God, we thank you for this opportunity to learn from Benaiah and from David's mighty men on how to live courageous lives so that we can have an eternal impact for your kingdom. Now, God, we pray that you will bless these elements as we celebrate the gift of your son, Jesus, who walked the earth, who chased down the lion called sin, who died on the cross, and who raised up from the dead so that we might have new life. God, help us to take that seriously and to honor his sacrifice, 
not by surviving by running, but surviving because we are willing to face the things that cause us to be afraid. God bless this time now, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may come.